Hello and welcome to another episode of Christ in Context, a podcast dedicated to seeing Christ in all of Scripture and using all of Scripture to filter all of life. My name is Kevin, I am your host, and maybe you noticed that the introduction was a little bit different. Um, I'm still working on the wording, trying to tweak it down. It's hard to do working 30 hours a week, but we'll get it narrowed down. Um, I also forgot to give a shout out to the guy who made the music. His name's Brian. He's a good friend from church and he did a phenomenal job to the intro and outro music. So, uh, there's my quick little shout out for Brian. Um, I also, before we get into our topic for today, um, just wanted to say that podcasts are hard guys podcasts are really freaking hard. Um, Not only is it hard to be consistent and do them regularly, make sure you're recorded before, um, you know, before you need to put out your next episode, but it's also just hard to, you know, be really excited and passionate like you normally would be when you're talking to a wall. Uh, It's, yeah, it's just, it's interesting. It's different. I'm trying to learn how to keep my energy up and not bore myself. I hope I'm not boring you guys. I'm really trying to keep stuff interesting. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to throw that in there. I'm learning. I'm trying. It's only the third episode, so we'll keep we'll keep getting better. And just bear with me. Uh, thanks for listening. I I really appreciate it. So, today we are talking about biblical theology, which you've heard me mention a couple times. The first episode, I threw it in there in, you know, that long list of topics we'll be talking about, and then I think in the last episode I mentioned it. I know I did at the end when I said that we'll be talking about it. So, um, what is, well, yeah, before we get into biblical theology, Let's talk about exegesis, which I think most of my listeners, I hope you guys have probably heard the word before, but if you haven't and you're not really familiar with what an exegesis is, it's basically just an in-depth study of a text, which has the goal of finding the most accurate interpretation of said text. Um, It's not just for the Bible. It's primarily used for the Bible and religious texts, like, say, the, the Quran, but the most dominant usage of this word is with the Bible. We're trying to, you know, find the most accurate understanding of the text. Um, but you could also use it with, I mean, any other document you can use, you know, Shakespeare, you could, you could exegete a passage out of, um, Jonathan Edwards sermons. I don't know. Uh, you know, you, an exegesis is not limited to the Bible, but uh, that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about the Bible. We're talking about interpreting the Bible. Um, there's three primary methods of properly performing an exegesis. Well, I'm going to narrow it down to three. I mean, people will probably say there's five or six or a hundred. I'm just going to point out the three most obvious ones or most important ones 
so the first one is the grammatical historical or grammatical historical or historical grammatical, however the heck you want to say it. Um, grammar and history is basically what it boils down to. You're studying the original language, the historical context, uh, the understanding that the author would have had, the understanding that the audience would have had, you know, maybe surrounding literature that would have influenced the author and the audience, um, lots of in-depth word studies, etc. And that's about as far as I'm going to go with grammatical historical method, because that's about all that I know. I think one of my good friends who goes to Moody Bible Institute um, has been taught this method. I haven't been formally taught this method. Um, I think John MacArthur uses this method, and that's about all that I know about it. But it's a, it's a working knowledge. It's enough to kind of talk about it. Um, the next method is what I've been taught at my school which is the historical critical method, which at first, when I was doing my exegetical papers, I think I ended up doing grammatical historical without really notice. Like, I, it was just kind of my common sense. Like, I just want to study the Bible. Uh, I want to study the audience and the author. But uh, the historical critical method is actually really complex. If you read like any handbook of biblical interpretation or handbook of biblical criticism, most of the time it's going to be at least a page long or you know half a page of small font explaining what the historical critical method is. Um, but it's basically focusing on the text rather than focusing on the author or the audience of the text. Um, They'll use a phrase called Sitz im Leben, which is German for situation in life. And so when I've, again, when I've been taught that, I kind of figured, oh, the Sitz im Leben, what, you know, what was the situation in life for the author? What was the situation in life for the audience or, you know, the people surrounding the text? But actually, that's not really where, where the historical critical method wants to take it. They want to take it to what's the situation in life with the text. Um, who is the community that wrote the text? Um, what, you know, what was the community that had the original oral tradition? There's a lot of emphasis on the oral tradition for the specific reason of, um, according to one handbook that I read, reconstructing the text's historical milieu. Um, basically, they're trying to find the original meaning in the oral tradition of the text rather than um rather than trying to find the the original meaning in the um the f completed document sorry i stuttered a lot on that <laughs> My, i was having a brain fart while i was talking um but yeah they're they're trying to find the for some reason they're really um convinced that the oral tradition is the purest form of the actual writing or intention of the text, which I guess, sure, that might be true. But also, my question is, like, was there more change between the oral tradition and the written final product? And if there was a lot of change, how can you prove that there weren't tape recorders or any or microphones or any way of recording um, an oral tradition? except by writing it down. And by the time you've written it down, then that's the completed 
text. So I think, you know, they might be kind of building on sand. Um, the last method, which is debatable if it's an exegetical method or something else, which we'll talk about in a second. Um, it's the redemptive historical method, which carefully studies how God has revealed redemption in periods of history, utilizing history, original languages, looking at the overall storyline of the Bible. Um, so not just limiting the narrow study of a passage, but also looking at the whole story of the whole book, the whole story of, you know, like if you're studying a passage from the book of Matthew, you're not just looking at that passage, you're looking at the whole story of Matthew, looking at the whole story of the New Testament, whole story, and then Redemptive Historical looks at the whole story of the Bible, and how does Matthew fit into the whole story of the Bible. So there's a debate between whether this is an exegetical or hermeneutical method, which actually might only really be a debate in my mind. I'm still new to this method, and I'm fascinated by it, and I'm trying to learn. Uh, I might just have to wait till I get to seminary to find out if this is uh, exegetical or hermeneutical method. But hermeneutics, just quick side note, if you don't know what hermeneutics is, it is a big word that means interpretation, basically. Uh, that's the next step after you exegete a passage. So you spend a lot of time uh, digging up the uh, original intention of the text, whether you're looking at the author and audience or the text itself, and then you interpret from there. Um, that's, and that's pretty much it. That's the, the groundwork for, um, exegesis and interpretation. And why is all of that important? Well, it's important because biblical theology is the next, uh, I guess, big branch of academic study after exegetical theology or exegetical study. Um, so we've got exegetical theology or exegetical study, and then we have biblical theology, and then there's systematic theology, and it goes on. So, uh, Gerhardus Voss, who has, by the Reformed folk, uh, we've kind of labeled him as the father of biblical theology. And he says that biblical theology is that branch of exegetical theology, which deals with the processes or the process, sorry, of the self-revelation of God deposited in the Bible. And then later on, and this is just the first chapter of his book, Biblical Theology, Old and New Testaments, fantastic book. I'm still working through his chapter on the Mosaic period of Revelation, which is an 80-page chapter. It's a beast, and I mean, the whole book is a beast, but it's fantastic. I highly recommend, 10 out of 10, fantastic book. Um, so in that chapter, he later explains that uh, we separate these times of deposit where, you know, God has, so he said that um, God has revealed himself in different periods, or he, I think he says epochs, but different periods of time, he's deposited his self-revelation. So he explains that we can separate these periods by looking for a covenant that God makes with man. So um, the first, uh, what is it? The, the first period that he lists out is creation or pre-creation. 
and then God makes a covenant with Adam and Eve, and that starts the next little section, the next epoch, and then they break the covenant. So then he makes a covenant with Noah, and then he makes, well, he makes another covenant with Eve about the Proto-Euangelion, the first gospel. He um, tells them that their seed, one of their descendants, will crush the serpent's head. So that's a covenant of its own. And then I think the next one that he focuses on is uh, Noah and the flood. And then he focuses on Abraham and Isaac and Jacob all in one chapter. And then he focuses on um, Moses. And then he continues from there. So, yeah, it's basically looking at each point where God is explaining a little bit more about what he's doing in order to redeem his people, um, which is absolutely fascinating because then when you get from Genesis to Revelation, you get this beautiful full picture of how God has said that he wants to redeem his people and how he has already redeemed his people. Uh, which is through Jesus. So, you know, you might hear the saying that the whole Bible points to Jesus, which is kind of the catchphrase for biblical theology. So, um, we might also understand biblical theology as just the relationship between the Old and the New Testaments. James Hamilton wrote a really short book. It's just an introductory book, just over 100 pages about biblical theology. It's called What is Biblical Theology? Also, I just got James Hamilton's um, bigger biblical theology that he wrote, which is um, God's glory and salvation through judgment. Yeah, God's glory and salvation through judgment, which I'm very excited to read. Um, It's like 600 pages or something like that. Very, very excited. Uh, Anyways, so within his first little uh, primer book, he says that there's a narrative, there's a plot, there's symbolism, imagery, typology, patterns, things of that nature, which you might study. I know I remember studying similar things like that in like my high school English classes, you know, things that I thought, oh, never going to use that. Well, here I am studying biblical theology and needing to really focus on the narrative and plot. And, you know, you don't, it's not limited to just one book of the Bible, but you look at the narrative of the whole book of the Bible, you look at the plot of the whole book of the Bible, you look at the theme of a lot of times biblical theologies are focused on a specific theme of like, uh, N.T. Wright was just at my school in the fall and he was talking about the biblical theology of um, the temple. So he was looking at the temple from Genesis to Revelation or essentially Yeah, I think it was Genesis to Revelation that he talked about. Um, And the culmination of it was when Jesus came and templed among us, as John puts it. So, um, just move my microphone a little bit. And anyways, uh, yeah, so there's a lot of literary devices. And I kind of think of it as like a play or some type of drama, which is really neat. Because when you think of it like that, then you like you know, we do play a role in that drama, but it's not the lead role. Jesus is the lead role. Um, and we get to see pictures of Jesus 
throughout every movement and every act of the play. Uh, you know, in Genesis, he's the the seed that's predicted that's going to crush the head of the serpent. He's also, um, you know, his burial is predicted. He himself describes that the the flood, you know, he is, uh, how does he say it? I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. But he basically uh, makes a connection between the ark that, um, or, no, I just read that in First Peter this morning. Sorry, guys. I'm a mess. I was just out um, evangelizing with some guys a couple hours ago, and so my mind is all scattered. I'm also drinking coffee because I got really tired when I got home. So anyways, in First Peter, I think it's chapter 4, Peter explains the ark, and he says that we will be saved through baptism, just as those who were hidden in the ark were saved through baptism. Um, really neat little imagery. Jesus talks about, um, in the sign of Jonah, that he'll be buried like Jonah was. He'll be hidden in a whale for three days and then come out and, uh, redemption is fulfilled. So, you know, we can go on and on. Maybe one way that we could think about it, which is lighthearted, kind of funny, is The Lion King, which I loved that movie growing up. I still love it. Um, debatable about whether the new movie is the better one, but like the remake, but I definitely am a huge fan of the old one, the original, and I also like Lion King one and a half. Fantastic movie. Anyways, we might see Mufasa as a type or a foreshadow of Simba. He kind of lays out the groundwork, the basic um, fundamentals of a good, you know, leader of the pride. He's um, confident and he has, you know, he's organized and, you know, has an order to how he rules the pride. Simba's kind of a mess at first, but then we see development and towards the end, he comes back and he, spoiler alert, defeats Scar and... um, he starts to rule the pride like he, like his dad did. But, you know, we might say that he did it better because he defeated Scar where Mufasa had kind of let Scar live for a little bit. So, um, in GK Beale's New Testament biblical theology, which I haven't read the whole thing cause it's a beast, but I, I was flipping through the first couple pages where he paraphrases, Gerhardus Voss, and he says that Gerhardus Voss's metaphor for this uh, creative development between two testaments is that earlier Old Testament prophecies and texts are like seeds, and later Old Testament texts develop the seeds into roots from which stems and leaves imperceptibly grow. And then in the New Testament, the bud emerges and begins to flower. From one angle, the blooming plant may not look like the seed or the root, as in botanical comparisons, but careful exegesis, which is why I brought up the exegetical methods, because careful exegesis of both Old Testament and New Testament contents contexts can show at least some of the organic connections. So that's G.K. Beale, 
in a New Testament biblical theology. I think it was published in 2011. Don't quote me on that, but um, yeah, that's the that's kind of one of the important parts of biblical theology is that it connects the Old and the New Testament. Um, you might read the whole Bible and think that there's already an inherent connection, and I, I believe that there is. But when we do a specific study on biblical theology, we look at um, parts of the Old Testament and how they're fulfilled in the New Testament. Uh, we believe that Jesus was the fulfillment of the whole Old Testament. So when we look at the Old Testament, there's little bits and pieces that, at first glance, you don't think that it has anything to do with Jesus. And some people might call it like an uh, eisegesis or like a reading into the text, something that's not supposed to be there. But I actually think that because Jesus said that he is the fulfillment of the Old Testament, then that's what we should be looking for. We shouldn't just be, you know, trying to read it in its original context and leaving it there. We should read it in its original context, original language, and use that for our benefit to look at how God is revealing redemption from the whole uh, history throughout all of history. Sorry about that. Um, I think that's that's just about it. But yeah, uh, biblical theology is basically this drama. It's this um, event of how God is interacting. Like, you know, this is why it's important to actually believe that um, the Bible was written in actual history and that actual, you know, the things of the Bible were actually historical because when we believe those things, then we believe that God is actually revealing redemption in actual historical moments. So all of that is to say that that's kind of the approach that we will be taking when we challenge uh, some popular texts or not so popular texts that are really hard to deal with. Um, we're going to do the best that we can to put it in its rightful context and then with that put it in its rightful context of the whole story of God's redemption. So with that being said, um, I hope that you are excited for where we're going to go. I hope that you continue to listen and if you enjoyed this episode, give us a review, uh, follow, and we'll keep putting out more content follow us on social media i'm trying to get a twitter page going in just a little bit i'm on instagram and facebook i'm also in the doctrinal discipleship page on facebook so if you're not in that in that group then you know either follow my page uh on facebook it's christ in context podcast or on instagram it's at Christ in Context Pod, I think. Um, and I'm trying to put out some content on social media. And if you're following me, then you'll see when my next episodes are up. But I'm just going to dis put a disclaimer out there. I am trying to get new episodes out every single Monday. Um, yeah, I think that's about it. We've got a doctrinal discipleship uh, webpage that, or website that's going to be coming out, I think by the end of the month or by the end of July, it'll be coming out pretty soon. 
Luke announced it on the Steady Anchor podcast. But yeah, that's about it. Um, thanks for taking the time to listen. Give us a follow on social media or um, yeah, leave a review. And I hope that you're encouraged by this podcast and that it challenges you to read the Bible a little bit differently and, you know, think about the whole story instead of just uh, the tiny, you know, little bit that you're focusing on, but really focusing on the whole story and focusing at Christ as the very, very center and the utmost important part of reading your Bible. Thanks for listening. God bless. (laughs) Thank you.